I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, it's a first the first time that we welcome a guest back for the third time. Ladies and gentlemen, they didn't think it was possible. Today, we welcome back Andy Blow, the founder of Precision Hydration, a good friend of mine, and one of the leading resources on endurance hydration and fueling. He works with many Purple Patch athletes, as well as many of the Purple Patch pro athletes. But more importantly, the whole of Precision Hydration is based around education and helping athletes succeed and have better experiences in their endurance performance events. And I found out recently that Andy and Precision are expanding. They've gone from just hydration to now fueling with a new energy drink, brand new gels, and coming very soon, some chews. Sounds like gummy bears to me. But I thought, hmm, it might be a really nice time to find out more to ask Andy why and how they're expanding into the fueling side of the endurance fueling world. And also at the same time, get Andy to sit on the hot seat a little bit, answer some questions from you guys, the listeners. And if you remember last week, we put it out there and we had a big response. A lot of people asked their questions. Now I didn't get to ask Andy every question today, but we did get through a very meaty five or six questions that are really, really high value. Before we dive into the conversation, I do want to say there is a little bit of shaky internet and maybe not quite the purest studio recording quality that you would expect from me at Purple Patch. And that's because I'm not in the studio. I'm up in Montana, my happy place with Kelly and Baxter. And so, well, we did our best sitting up in the mountains and i think it's more than good enough quality for us to get everything that we need from it which is education so what we will do this week is we will skip i'm sorry barry you get the week off but we will skip word of the week we are not doing ooh the bleeding echo you instead we are going right into what do they call it oh here it is i give you andy blow and it is the meat and potatoes And yes, it is the meat and potatoes. And this week, after two goes at this show already and two absolute failures, Andy Blow of Precision Hydration, we're giving you a third chance, the third time that anyone, the first time that anyone's come back for the third time on this show. Andy, welcome once again to the show. Thanks, Matt. And I, I promise, promise to do my best this time. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I'm, I must, I must like you to to invite you a third time and give you an other, other last time. Uh, joking aside, obviously, I really encourage you guys, your listeners, to go back and listen to the prior two podcasts that we've done with Andy on hydration and fueling for endurance sports. And in those two sessions or shows, we went through all of your history, background, some of the physiology, basic rules, and hydration. But t- today, we're going to dig a little deeper, and we thought we would do two things. The first is going to some of your new products that you've just released at Precision, not as an infomercial, more as a a, a spine of education, if we want to call it that. And secondly, go out to our listeners, our athletes, as well as listeners of the show to ask their questions of you. So you're going to be a little bit of mastermind here, a little bit on the hot seat, and you don't know what's coming. So we are going to have that, but I have gathered up the question. So without further ado, if you are ready, we can dig into this. I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Matthew. Thank you very much. All right, let's get going. So so first question, Andy, you assist a a lot of athletes across sporting levels on their approaches and strategies for fueling and hydration in the sport. And, And I think it's just good for us to ground. We went through this in the prior show, but what are some of the biggest challenges when we think about racing? What are some of the biggest challenges that athletes face during racing? 
I think a big one once once athletes get into the the heat of racing and especially in actual hot and humid conditions which is where a lot of you know triathlons ultra runs big bike session big bike races go on we know that the athletes um sweat rates sodium losses that kind of thing can get to the can get to levels which are very challenging to meet for by absorption rates in their gut so there's this gap that exists between okay over the course of an ironman or over the course of an ultra i'm going to lose a lot of fluid a lot of salt and how how much of that can i replace physically because although there's this big debate in sports science about okay should you replace 100 percent of losses or not and and the, and the answer quite often is no you shouldn't need to replace 100 percent of losses certainly certainly that's the case for shorter events in the longer stuff that question falls out the window when it's not even physically possible to so then it's like mm-hmm. okay what strategies do i employ to mitigate those losses so i think i think that's that's one of the biggest ones or certainly one of the ones where i feel in working with athletes who are doing working up to things like kona or any of the big the big hot ironman races that's where that's where a change of their strategy and approach has the biggest impact and when when you're working with athletes i've I've never asked this of you when you're working with athletes you work with a broad spectrum. What are the most common planning questions or, or challenges that they have? You know, is it things like, how do I carry this stuff? How much fluid shall I have? And I guess we're going to find out later today with the questions. But but what do you find are the most common questions or challenges that you get from athletes? The first most fundamental one that, that always comes across is like, how much should I take? of x y and z and for us x y and z as you know are the the three levers as we call them of of um fueling and and hydration fluid sodium and carbs and and sort of getting a handle on how much someone needs to take in for their sport their individual physiology the event that they're doing the conditions they're doing in and at least giving them we've talked a lot in the past about this concept of not giving exact numbers but giving guardrails because there's always a, a a band that you've got to get yourself in for how much fluid you, you're going to need, for how much salt you're going to need, for how much carb you're going to need. And that band has to have an element of flexibility because your body is not a static object. You know, you do the same session or the same race on two different days and the, the internal and potentially the external environment is slightly different. So you, you're trying to hit a moving target. But the fundamental one, the, the question that we're seeking to answer with most athletes, first off, it's like, how what what are those numbers that i'm trying to hit how many liters of fluid or how many bottles do i want to drink on the bike in the ironman how many gels do i want to have per hour that sort of thing and then once we've established what those numbers are the next level of process starts to become um about the logistics and the like okay well how do i reliably hit those numbers how do i make enough stuff available and how am i going to meter and feed that out across the time span so we'll talk about things which we might get into more detail on i guess in a, in a while but things like what we call front loading so in an ironman obviously you can eat and drink more on the bike than the run not only because the time span's greater but because you're sat on a bike with access to a bottle and it's easier to eat and drink on a bike so take you know we, we always talk about taking advantage of that and even then breaking down the bike into thirds and saying well in the first third of the bike you can absorb more calories, you can absorb more fluids and electrolytes because your gut is in much better state. You're less dehydrated, you're less, you know, you're less beaten up by the stress of the race. So it goes, it runs counter to a lot of athletes' intuition to say fuel and, and hydrate reasonably aggressively in the first hour or two on the bike. But that's something which we see as being you know, quite a, an important coaching point, especially in these longer, hotter and harder races, because you then you're not fueling for the in the in the first hour you're not fueling for the first hour we could all do the first hour on the bike with nil by mouth but that would bite you in the ass between hours four and five you know so it's about getting in front of it so so i'd say it's like knowing the numbers figuring out the the logistics of how to hit those numbers and coming up with a kind of a plan of like how you're going to stage that out through the race ironically when athletes come to us sometimes for to chat about things 
they go beyond those things straight away and we start ending up talking about the minutiae the details around like what type of carbohydrate should i be having or what kind of you know what special you know is x brand better than y brand or you know i've seen so and so's doing this or that and it's all the kind of what you've what the dave ralph the marginal gain stuff without skipping past what i would say the fundamentals which is how much fluid how much salt how much carb per hour get those right and so a, a big part of that educational process first off is emphasizing the need to know those numbers and that's that's such a uh of course i'm going to ask about the numbers in a second but i think that that's a common trend across sports is that the the athletes get drawn perhaps because of marketing or emulating of other athletes that they see get drawn into looking for their answers of very basic problems in the weeds in the fine details but it's like nail the basics first get that understanding get what works for you and then you're gonna have stuff that tastes good or doesn't taste good works for you or doesn't work for you and um and a lot of people will reject or embrace brands but but in fact it isn't the brand that is the issue necessarily it's the fact that they haven't got these building blocks in place that fair enough statement yeah, definitely. It's the it's that it's a paraphrase of that the cliche that it's the dose that makes the poison or the dose that makes the effect. You know, you you, you can have you can have too many or too lit too few of a really well formulated energy gel, for example, and you will either not have enough energy if you have too few, or you will be sick and feel or have diarrhea if you have too many. The formulation of the product can have some implications for some people but generally speaking most of these things are pretty homogenous what what it's about is knowing how many of the damn things you've got sucked down per hour and it's a bit like you know the, the the conversation that endlessly goes on around bikes between people debating whether they to have whether they need 40 millimeter deep rim wheels or 60 millimeter deep, deep rim wheels or whatever but if they're not sat on the bike properly you know then they're just not they're they're leaving so much on the table worrying about worrying about the seconds when you should when there's places where you could go and find minutes that's it so so as a general rule then and uh and this is going to be the most common question and i know it's an impossible question to answer but but i ask it because i see so much interesting research lately around the amount of carbohydrate that endurance athletes can consume etc so is there a global or general amount of hydration that an athlete can or should consume in an hour amount of calories amount of carbohydrate amount of electrolytes yeah if we if we the easy way to start with that question is to start with carbs because although there's a difference between people and between events there is there's a sort of more universal recommendations that can be applied when it comes to carbohydrate because really there's two things that limit or, or that drive and limit your carbohydrate requirements when you're exercising one is the duration intensity of the exercise the longer the exercise goes on and the higher the intensity of it is the more exogenous carbohydrate you need to eat to sustain performance and then really what what tends to limit when you're dealing with very fit athletes that are going hard what it tends to limit the the amount of carbohydrate that gets consumed is what's tolerable in the stomach and the gut and what can be absorbed and digested so you know for, for starters we can say pretty categorically that anything less than 60 to 90 minutes you know doesn't really require external carbohydrate to be consumed it just if you start an activity well fueled you you can get by on your glycogen stores and there's very little advantage in taking much in when you start to get beyond that, up to say you know two to three hours, probably 30, 40 grams of carbohydrate an hour is a, is a reasonable amount for most people, which equates to about one one to possibly push into two energy gels an hour, because that's an amount which is tolerable by pretty much everyone in their in their stomach and gut, and delivers just enough energy to take the edge off. Um, the glycogen stores being being destroyed too much but when you get beyond three four five hours and as you go progressively longer and kind of almost peaking around that that iron man and that sort of 100k 60 50 60 mile ultra sort of territory where people are going for 
you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours, but at, at a relatively high rate when they're going fast, we start to see a really, you know, essentially a relationship, which is like the more carbohydrate you can get in and consume tolerably, the better. Um, but it's, it is, it is slightly individual. So we've seen, you know, the, the universal recommendation in the last 10, 15 years go up from 60 to 90 grams per hour because it's been proven pretty categorically that you can absorb more than 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour when you're exercising. Um, we've now seen reports, anecdotal and scientific reports of a lot of athletes pushing up to 120 or I've even seen 140 grams of carbohydrate an hour in some individuals. Um, but what I would say about that conversation at the moment is it seems to be going in the direction of everyone believing that this is another kind of panacea, like the more carbohydrate you can take, the better. But, and to an extent, there's some truth in that because the more carbohydrate you can, you can get in and assimilate, the more available fuel you've got, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all. And there's some pull along with the push. You can't just push more carbohydrate in and go faster. You have to be going very fast to have the rate of energy consumption that warrants a high level of, of intake. So we sort of get into that zone where basically for, for shorter endurance events, 30 grams, 30, 40 grams of carbs per hour is what we need. It then sort of gradually builds from 60, 90, maybe up to 120 through the duration um, in concert with the ability to sustain a high level of output. Of course, if your output level is that much lower, you can probably get away with a little bit a little bit less because you'll have a bigger energy contribution from from burning your fat stores. So carbs, carbs, that window is like 30 to, to 90 for most people, maybe up to 120 grams an hour. Um, with fluids and sodium, as we've talked about numerous times in the past, that that's a lot more over the, all over the map. And fluid could be as low as 200, 300 milliliters per hour in in cooler conditions and for people with lower sweat rates in hot conditions is not a firm ceiling but we see a lot of athletes topping out at around about one liter which is about 34 ounces per hour and that's not necessarily that their sweat rates could far exceed that but but for a lot of people that's a sort of upper tolerable limit in recent times i've worked with a handful of athletes who seem to be able to you know cruise past that limit and up to even double, like two two liters, sixty four um, or sixty, yeah, well, sixty eight ounces or so per hour, which is which is a lot of fluid. But those those guys, mm. and it tends to be guys, are the exception, not the rule. Um, you know, and that takes a bit of concerted effort to get that amount of fluid in. So the general window of recommendation for fluid is like low low end two three hundred milliliters uh, you know 12 8 12 ounces an hour right through to uh, a liter maybe 1.2 so 34 38 ounces an hour um that's that's where most people find themselves operating most of the time and then on the sodium side again quite a large variation but it tends to rise in concert with the fluid demands although there is a skew towards higher numbers for people who lose a lot of salt in their sweat so the band that we tend to advise people to, to play around in is if they're if they're losing a, a low amount of salt could be as little as 250 milligrams of sodium per hour in a long endurance event, and it could be up as much as 15 or 1600 milligrams per hour if they're if they've got a heavy sweat rate, are doing a long race, and and are losing a lot of salt. So it could be like 1.5 grams of sodium an hour in those cases, along with quite a lot of fluid. And, mm. and really then it's, it's, it's identifying the key physiological variables for the individual and the, the characteristics of the event that then dictate where you start with those numbers when you're building a plan. So I want to ask about your, your new products. And obviously Precision is traditionally a hydration company known for tailoring hydration drinks suitable for different situations as well as athlete needs. And now you're expanding into fueling. And so I guess first, what, what was the catalyst for you guys broadening the range? Um, yeah, good question, Matt. That, the, the thing that really drove that was COVID-19 and the fact that we were sat down doing a lot of one-to-one -one video calls with the athletes that we're, that we're working with, with our customers, because we offered those out as a way to stay in touch with our community during that period of lockdown. 
and we said look we'll help you refine your hydration strategies we'll help you answer all the the questions you've got and on analysis looking at what we talked to people about in all of those hundreds of calls was that nine out of ten of them strayed into the areas of fueling quite quite early and quite easily and we'd always mm. known that you know we've always talked about as you know this sort of like the three levers approach the fluid the sodium the carbs and we'd always talk to people about the carb thing but but signposted them to you know to deal with those elsewhere with other products or, or whatnot but we noticed that you know what we we feel like this is the right time for us now we've got the time to throw ourselves at this you know and really look at developing some products that fit the needs of these athletes and so we've 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 developed our own products we got really sticky in the kitchen you know actually <laughs> sort of mixing things up lots of homebrew energy gels and energy chews and that kind of thing to try and figure out what we were the characteristics that we wanted in a product and what, what we figured out early on was one of the fundamental characteristics needed to be you know we talk about this 30 60 90 120 grams of carb per hour well when you when you pick up a, a regular energy gel or an energy bar or something you have to get your microscope out and look on the back to actually find out how much carbohydrate is in it so like we've done with the hydration products we've we've made all of our uh all of our fueling products like kind of modular so they contain 30 grams of carbohydrate per serving so if you want to take 30 grams an hour you take one unit if you want to take 60 grams it's two if you want to take 90 grams it's three and if you're going to go up to 120 grams it's four and we've done that at the moment with an energy drink mix with an energy gel we've got a chew coming very soon and they're in the in the more distant future there'll be an energy bar as well and and all of that sort of you know it was it was so that we could um i guess give give the people that we're working with a comprehensive overview of those three three key things that they need for for doing well in an endurance event and then provide the, the sort of the knowledge and then the tools for the job and the, the carbohydrate products are just that they're just part of our toolkit now in many ways, when you answered the question earlier of getting the guardrails right and getting your numbers right, this is a framework for athletes to, in a modular sense, understand this is this is the product for the need and this is how much I need. And it's it's a very, very simple process, yeah. Yeah, we've we've tried to sort of you know zag where other people are zigging at the moment in the market which has always been towards you know the, tri the the typical thing with sports nutrition these days is oh we've we've come out with this this great new product and it's got a special carbohydrate in it or it's got a special property which is going to make it superior to everything that's come before you know we've mm -hmm. got slow release carbs or we've got um hydrogels or something like that which is allegedly going to be better but like i was trying to say earlier on that for me those things may have small amounts of merit there might be times when actually it's a bit advantageous to have a carbohydrate that releases a bit more slowly or maybe a, a hydrogel might offer some benefits in reducing you know gi distress or whatever but in but in reality that skirts the question of like how much of this stuff do you need to take per hour which is the fundamental and so we wanted to make a simple product that answered that fundamental question and not try to confuse people with saying well actually our product is better because it has this different type of carbon or whatever which is which is sort of a very tenuous claim at best but one that gets repeated over and over and it's kind of i don't hold it against other other companies who, who do that because it's natural in any crowded market where you've got lots and lots of different products the natural thing to want is a point of dif uh, point of differentiation we've just chosen to make our point of uh, difference the fact that it's very clearly labeled with how much carbohydrate is in and we will work tirelessly with you to figure out how many you need to take per hour because we we fundamentally believe that is how you will get faster as an athlete and then beyond that if there's any minuscule advantage to be had from having a different type of carb or whatever you know go, go and find it but but we'll we'll concentrate on the foundations so, so with that, you you mentioned it briefly, but you've got a drink mix, gels, and and let, let's say you've got chews as well, even though they're not yeah. available, they're coming soon. Further down the bar, further down the track, bars. So let's just focus on the first three: drink mix, gels, chews. Is there different mission, purpose, use for for each one globally? Like quick hit on that. Yeah, yeah. The the drink mix is really for the kind of short 
to medium duration activities where hydration is is less of a priority carbohydrate fuel in a digestible format is more important so i'm thinking you know there that's like marathon running in in normal temperate conditions at an olympic distance triathlon or an ex-terra race on the bike or something like that or a, a, a crit race on the bike where what you want is something which is liquid carbohydrate and you can you can digest and consume it when you're breathing very hard so when you don't want to be chewing something or trying to rip a gel packet open that's mm-hmm. the primary use for that product we put some electrolytes in it we put some sodium in it um, because we also accept that there will be a, a large degree of what I would sort of jokingly term as like off-label use by athletes. Athletes will use this product in longer events as part of a fueling strategy, but we wouldn't try to advertise it as a product that can meet all of your needs. Because as I've talked about endlessly in the past, you know, you've got to decouple your fluids, your salts and your calories if you want to have flexibility over your strategy. You've got to be able to pull those sweet levers separately. Yeah, um, so, so me, me, me as an athlete, going to do one of my my heroic another one of my heroic ultra trail runs would not be pulling this off the shelf for that necessarily no I, I not, be not primarily places. you know you, yeah. you might you might if you were at an aid station where you could grab a bottle of this halfway through as just an alternative something to drink with some calories and some salts and it's it's going to do the job but you're not going to kind of think to yourself i can get everything i need from this one bottle which is i know is the approach that some companies appear to take but i've always found that to be you know disingenuous and a little bit risky on the on the stomach so it's predominantly for short fast stuff the other people who are using a lot of it in our world outside of endurance is like team sport players we've got a lot of um, soccer teams using it as a half-time drink um nfl players having it you know in between breaks and things where they just want to squirt some 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 um, digestible carbohydrates uh, with some with some fluid and electrolytes in so it kind of has those uses and i think probably the other the other use for it is with athletes like the pro athletes who have a very heavy training load if you're one you know sam appleton who um you know obviously we're we both work with independently mm-hmm. and sam Sam has been using it a little bit, I think, in morning swim sessions when he's going out and doing a long session later in the day. So he doesn't need it to get through that swim session, but it's another way of keeping his fueling topped up while he's doing that swim set so that he can go out and smash a good run or a good bike ride later in the day because obviously keeping up with the overall calorific demands of a two to three times a day training schedule is pretty tricky. So that's the, that's the, the, the sort of, there are intended use cases for that product. And then the, the gel is obviously gels have been around for a long time, as everyone knows, and they've survived the test of time because they're probably the most versatile little type of energy product that endurance athletes have in the locker. You can use them when you're running a marathon. You can use them when you're doing an ultra. You can use them for a triathlon, for a bike race or, or whatever, because they're, they're quick and digestible. They're very light and easy to carry. They're quite concentrated, so you can get our gel is 30 grams of carb and the whole thing only weighs 50 grams. So you can carry a number of them in your pocket. And, and the, I guess if, if there is a USP to ours, it's that it's, it's very clearly exactly 30 grams of carbs and it's a very neutral flavor because you, know, you talk to talk to any athlete about gels and usually the, the conversation will stray towards how, you know, how disgusting they taste. And we just thought, well, we'll just make it as neutral as possible because we're not trying to create something that you want to take out for a picnic here. We just want you to be able to get this down in potentially quite large quantities for several hours without rejecting it. And so, Mm -hmm. so that was the, that was the idea with the gel, the chew, the chew then is the next step up. So the chew is even more concentrated than the energy gel. So our chew, which, which weighs, um, which has 30 grams of carbohydrate in will only weigh, about um, 40 grams overall because it's a very very high percentage of, of carbohydrate in the product and so it's good when when weight is an issue so if you're running an ultra you can carry a bit more of that for less weight penalty it's also just gives you something to chew on when you're moving a bit more slowly so we all again most of us who've done enough exercise in the in the heat and over long durations know that sucking down gloopy gels after a while does become a bit unpalatable and sometimes you just want to chew on something and and give yourself some give you your mouth a bit of work to do and so the energy chew is 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 the next rung up the ladder 
and and we felt that with that range of products we could cover a, a, a vast amount of the use cases for you know people's for people's needs in the sports that we concentrate on mm, mm. I, I want to go back to the gels because you know i i I shout from the rooftops about precision hydration, the 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 drink, and the, the the primary thing that I talk about is the neutral palate. That when you are hours in, you still don't mind drinking it. And you kindly sent me some gels, and the first thing I noticed was the very neutral palate. And uh, you know, everyone that has used it so far has been shouting from the rooftops about it as well. I imagine that was quite challenging going through which flavor do we do? You know, is it lemon yeah. lime? Is it tutti frutti? So give us a, give me the process uh, around the testing or, or the decision making around making it such a, a neutral flavor. Yeah, we, we started out with this kind of goal of, of looking at, yeah, maybe a range of flavors or different, different flavors as is traditional. But what we found ourselves doing with, um, with the flavor ingredients for the gels at every stage was, was turning the, the amount of them down, you know, so each revolution of testing, we would go, that's good, but I think we could do a little bit less flavor and that's good. We could do, but let's turn the flavor down another 20% until we got to the point where we were almost putting no flavor in. And then some bright spark said, well, why don't we just put no flavor in at all? and see what that's like and there's a few odd looks but in the spirit of you know nothing ventured nothing gained we tried it and basically it kind of everyone was just like everyone just said yeah this is the one and then of course you nervously put it out beyond the immediate circle for some testing and, and like you've said the the feedback has been fantastic and you know taste taste is a very individual thing when it comes to food and drink and you will never one thing we've learned is you will never make one universal taste that works for everyone. But I would like to think we've got as close as, as, as is humanly possible with that by just, by just dialing it down to the minimum and saying to people, mm. look, this isn't, you, you shouldn't, this isn't like a, something you expect to get served at a restaurant. It's a functional, it's a functional food, not a, a, a food that you eat for pleasure. But at the same time, it's, it's like, like I, I suppose inoffensive and yeah that's what that's what we we're going for and hopefully that's what we'd hit we may incidentally we are looking at one other like a completely different route for one flavor of the gel um, and the same with the chew which is to look at a bit of mint and a bit of menthol in there because we got we got put onto that by a number of the ultra athletes that we're working with who told us i think three or four of them told us how they chew gum in you know to, yeah. to like minty chewing gum later in an event to cleanse their palate out and to kind of give give yourself a hit of a different flavor and we try we've tried some prototype mint gels and some mint chews and the chews will actually come before the gels in this respect but really really happy with those as well and i think they could be they could be quite a hit for the really long events where people want to mix up the flavors you know um <laughs> interestingly back in the day i guess back in my day that was somewhat of a trend at races like the Hawaii Ironman, a few athletes would go into T2 and have little bottles of uh, mouthwash yeah. and cleanse the palate because they were so sick of the sweet that it's almost like the effect of kind of brushing your teeth and it felt much better that then you go to the gels on the run. So yeah. uh, so there's some, there's some legroom there, yeah, for sure. Um, so we, we're going to get into athlete questions, uh, but um, I know a lot of listeners do do I'm sure want to try these out and uh and so is there what's the best route for for listeners to get a hold of these things um at, at the moment if they hit precisionhydration.com um, go into the the shop links there we've got uh, we've got pages in there for both the drink mix and the energy gels there's also a starter pack where you can sort of try a little bit of both one packet of the drink mix and um and four of the energy gels and then alongside both of those, really importantly, there's a, a link to something called the Quick Carb Calculator, which is a bit like the online sweat test that we have for figuring out which strength electrolyte drink you might need. The Quick Carb Calculator, it's under a button that says, how much fuel do I need? And you click on that and you answer some questions about what activity you're doing, at what intensity, for what duration. And it will give you an idea of how many grams of carb per hour so that then you can, when you get the products, you can actually try them out in the right or the recommended sort of dosages so that'd be the mm. best route i think to people you know give it give it a try 
and I guess that stays along the the same tone as precision as a company education being the backbone of everything you do absolutely we, we definitely we've talked a lot about the products actually and we, we have talked about the other bits but we've we definitely saw this whole project as being like the principal thing here is to educate people on how to fuel effectively we built a suite of products to, to support that and of course we'd love people to to buy our products but what's most important is that people get the education from us around you know how to fuel at their best because if they when they do they're going to you know go out and get a a, a tremendous result and for us that's it's reading this sort of like the, the feedback that we get from customers who say yeah now i've been trying all these different approaches over the years and then i've actually followed this advice to the t and you know what it's worked and that's that's where this job satisfaction comes in for us for sure so it's it's educate first and we we the products hopefully will will um you know sell themselves really on that basis well, let's put you on the hot seat then, because now it is your chance to educate and help people have a wonderful race experience. And our first question is from Daryl in Stoke-on-Trent. Oh, Andy, wow. have you ever been to Stoke-on-Trent? What a I used to. Place. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I've got a good fueling story about Stoke-on-Trent actually, because I grew up in Leicester, which is just down the A50 from Stoke-on-Trent. And my friend Ben and I, when we started riding road bikes, decided that we'd ride from. Leicester to Stoke on Trent, straight Stoke on Trent, straight down the A50 and back for some reason, and I don't think we ate anything. Um, and I remember stopping at a little um, convenience store about ten miles out of Stoke on Trent on the on the way home, having tried to rustle up two pounds between us to buy as many Mars bars as we could, eating them all in one go and trying to get home on it. And that was that was a very early fueling lesson. So I've got happy memories of Stoke on Trent. There you go. I've got happy memories of, I've met quite a few train spotters from Stoke-on-Trent, but we'll, we'll get into that another time. So, all right. So, but, but Daryl's question is actually fantastic. And it's one that I think is, is really relevant to a lot of listeners. And so folks, I, I think this is, this is a great question. And, and I'm going to preface why I think this is a great question before I ask it. There is a lot of tip of spear education that goes out there tailored whether it's equipment, whether it's training, whether it's nutrition and fueling and hydration, anchored around athletes that are doing an Ironman racing, eight hours, nine hours, et cetera, or running a marathon in two and a half, three hours. But the vast majority of people doing this event are nowhere near that, and it's not always suitable for them. And, and Daryl is one of these athletes, clearly, and has a great question. So he said, I've read a lot about carbohydrate consumption across endurance athlete endurance event 60 80 100 grams now it keeps going up we we chatted about that earlier mm. my question is for all of the middle and back of pack athletes out there for me it's going to take me around 14 hours to do my ironman and so do you really expect me to consume 4000 calories worth of sugar in my race I'm going to be diabetic before T2. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Stoke on Trent. There must be some more pragmatic advice for the 11 plus hour Ironman Club. Great question. What, what do you say to that? I'd, I'd say definitely, you know, that was right. What we read about is often the, the headline stories of what Jan Fredino or Gustav Eden or any of these top, top athletes are consuming. It's often is basically pure carbohydrate sugar but these guys as you well know are going really fast they're they're cycling at 25 26 27 28 miles an hour they're running at five and a half minutes a mile and therefore their energy consumption is is massively tilted towards burning fast fuel carbohydrates when you're going slower even with relative fitness constraints taken into into account so if you're doing you know 13 14 hours your pace is that bit slower you don't have to get all of your energy from that and you don't need to be consuming the same rate of energy because you're not you're not burning as much energy you know if yamfredino is riding at i don't know 28 miles an hour and putting out 300 watts daryl is not putting out 300 watts when he's out on the ironman bike course for you know seven or eight hours he's he's probably putting out 175 watts or, so, or 200 watts or, so, or, or something like or even less than that maybe so you can basically fuel 
at with a with a, a different mix and a lot of people will find that obviously the same as when you go out on an easy steady bike ride as compared with a, a hammerhead tt effort you've got the ability to eat more real food and to burn a, a higher contribution of fat when you're when you're going a bit slower so you know a, a lot of people will, will have more more bars more um, bananas or fruits or whatever they can carry and whatever is familiar to them in training in order to fuel their way through that Ironman and I would say for the for the people who are out there for the complete rather than compete mindset it's it's very much so around using foods in um, that you're comfortable with and that you've road tested in training as being good for you with within the constraints of obviously what you can pick up on the course you're going to have to augment it with some bottles of sports drinks some energy gels and things like that but you can definitely be having a far higher contribution from non-sports foods and and you know um, have a more enjoyable time as a result i would say mm-hmm. yeah no i absolutely agree with it okay so, so we'll move on we'll we'll go to jess v jess is uh purple patch athlete actually she's up in canada she has a good uh, female focused uh, question here she's asking what the uh, interesting because of the the discussion of yeah. how we started around the basics but what is the glucose fructose and other sugars ratio of ph gels and the reason she's asking is she said i've heard that women metabolize differently depending on the time in their cycle etc and would andy agree or are there any special considerations for how to practice when we've got so many variables going on intensity heat etc or any other tips to practice when we probably wouldn't be able to get those variables dialed yeah, in? Good, good question. So around the, the easy bit, the glucose fructose ratio, we've chosen to use a two to one glucose fructose ratio in our, in the um, gel and the, the the energy drink mix because um, glucose can be absorbed at about twice the rate that fructose can in your gut. So a two to one ratio makes sense because it helps to, to max out the, the theoretical capability of drawing um, energy into the, the bloodstream. So two to one glucose fructose. That's relatively common in a lot of modern sports nutrition products. Um, with regards to differences with in, with women metabolizing them differently, there is this is a this is an area where there is kind of not really a consensus in the research yet. So I read an interesting paper recently by Jen Saigo and some contributors, Jen's uh, Canadian nutritionist, and I'll try and dig out the paper to sort of append to, to the show notes if we can. Mm-hmm. But but they that she and I think it was also Stuart Galloway, a professor of sports nutrition from Sterling University, we've collaborated with, and they came to the conclusion looking at differences in um, fueling requirements for men and women that there that there was not there was not a huge amount of evidence to suggest that there were massive differences. The main differences between men and women when it came to fueling were more to do with the overall energy demands. So if a, essentially if it was to do with intensity, duration of exercise, and body size rather than gender specifically, what it did what the paper did do though was leave the door open to say that there isn't been enough research with regards to differences sort of micro differences within the female um, cycle and that that was that was an area where there appeared to be some some individual differences and and so i think it it comes down to somewhat frustrated there's no general guidance available but it does come down to a bit of individual trial and error on that score so it's it's like if 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 you are finding as a woman that you're you're struggling with you know you're having to adapt your fueling strategy at different times of the month then that's that's probably something to dig into a little bit deeper for for example one of the things that has been highlighted is that that um, postmenopausal women may tolerate fructose less well than than premenopausal women that doesn't seem to be universal but it is something which a lot of women have highlighted so there's definitely a little bit more of individual experimentation that needs to go on to kind of figure that one out mm. Mm. interesting go on the journey jess that's uh, that's the uh, the overall okay so we'll move to rick rick in north carolina a bit, bit more of a simple one for you here andy but it's actually one that that i 
get asked a lot. So I'll be interested in your perspective here. Is it better to take a few sips of precision hydration on a more frequent basis or should you go with the big gulp strategy every 20 minutes? And then how about alternating with nutrition? I know it's a mechanical question, but I wonder if there's any science or, or thoughts behind it. Yeah. So this is one that we get asked quite a lot. And I think that to start with the sort of what does the science say? Well, I think if you're going to drink a litre of fluid in an hour, let's say 32 ounces or 34 ounces of fluid in an hour, drinking all of that in one go is at the extreme end is very is relatively challenging to the gut. That's going to make you feel quite distended and quite bloated for a few minutes while your body copes with it. The, the one advantage that can be offered by taking big gulps, not necessarily so big that you feel uncomfortable by bigger gulps, is that it increases the pressure in the stomach, which then decreases the amount of time it takes to, to for gastric emptying so that you might be able to increase your absorption rate a little bit. But, but you're trading off a bit of discomfort to get a faster absorption rate. My advice to most athletes in most situations is that if you can sort of meter the fluid out more evenly over the hour, let's say a small, smaller bolus of fluid every 15, 15 minutes or so throughout the hour, that's probably preferable to, to taking it all down in one or two big gulps. That being said, different race courses dictate the tactics here because if you've got a course like the um the world championships in that were in nice for the 70.3 a few years ago where you've got a big climb and a big descent it might be that you really can't plan on drinking anything on the descent if it's a very fast and very technical descent so you're going to have to do more of your drinking on the way up the mountain and you won't get any done on the way down and the same with eating so there are there are times when you just kind of have to yeah, you, you're dictated to by the conditions. Mm-hmm. When it, when it comes to alternating, you know, food and drink, generally speaking, it's it's kind of the obvious thing of try to wash down whatever you're eating with liquid rather than the other way around. So you wouldn't, for instance, usually plan on taking a drink and then having an energy gel or chew. You would take the food first and then wash it down, just because that's more that's certainly more comfortable and certainly a lot more preferable in the heat. Um, that that little bit of fluid is going to help you to it's primarily going to help you to get it you know get your mouth cleared out and also get you to swallow and digest it more easily but but as you get more dehydrated as an event goes on that will also help your absorption rate i've got an interesting little test which i'm i'm trying to do at the moment i haven't seen any conclusive results from it but um, i'm wearing a a super sapiens continuous glucose monitor and someone asked me whether they thought that an energy gel the glucose from an energy gel would show up in the bloodstream faster whether when you took it when you took the energy gel chased down by some water versus just taking it in on its own and so i'm doing that on a few few training sessions to see but i have an inkling that they might be onto something and that you can probably if by chasing down some of your energy food with a little bit more fluid you'll increase the the rate of uptake and the digestion of it so i would always recommend having a little bit of a drink after you've eaten if you if the situation allows okay perfect let's go to james in texas another purple patch athlete and uh, james is looking for advice around hydration slash salt deficiency being a contributor to cramps so his question is does andy recommend a specific testing protocol to help identify how much salt and water we need during different intensities or conditions and if we're taking in a pre-mixed drink like the new precision hydration drink which includes a little bit of sodium how should we supplement with additional salt if needed yeah so the the cramp one is obviously potentially is a huge question because and a very you know we've talked about that one before a little bit but controversial in that you really do get polarized opinions around what what causes cramp and i think it's fair to summarize that as saying that there are definitely types of cramp which occur without without any reference to electrolyte and and fluid and, and, and salt loss but a lot of people are in agreement with with us in the fact that there are there's a specific flavor of cramping particularly the sort that happens late on in endurance events which is often very strongly linked with imbalances in hydration and, and salt and salt deficiency 
um, one of the one of the ways to tell if you're if if you're sort of um, if your cramping is linked more more closely with salt and fluid loss, as obviously it sounds, is 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 it tending to occur later on in events or after events where your fluid and salt losses have been considerable, and and that would be totally different to the kind of cramp you maybe get when you get on a new road bike and haven't set it up properly and you get cramp in the hip flexors after 30 minutes because the saddle's too low and that's mm-hmm. the kind of cramp where you're pretty sure it's actually just you're you're asking the muscles to do something they're not used to the kind of and they're very localized salt deficiency or sodium deficiency cramps tend to start in the muscle groups that are working the hardest so for me in an Ironman I would always feel them coming on on the run in my the, in my um, VMOs and in my quads just above the knee when I was running downhill because that muscle is obviously working super hard as, an, as a break when you're running downhill and that would be the first sign and, and if I let it spread if I didn't take on some extra salt at that point the cramp would then start to spread and it would take over my quads and then it might go to the hamstrings and go further so kind of sodium related cramps or sodium deficiency related cramps tend to start in one area and can spread and can actually go to the whole body, so that they're good signs to see if, if you know your your cramping is sort of related to that. And of course, the other way to tell is is do these cramps tend to go away, or are they managed well when you take in additional sodium and fluid? And the protocol that we we recommend for that is is like using a, a pH fifteen hundred, which is obviously a very strong electrolyte drink. It has fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium per liter. Having a dose of that, a sixteen ounce bottle of five hundred milliliters, about an hour before an activity that provokes cramp, and if it's long enough, drinking that during the activity as well. And if if that staves off the cramps, then there's a very good chance they were related to sodium and fluid imbalance. And if it doesn't, if after a couple of tries, then you may have to go looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that would be the that would be the main points I think. And and on cramping, if if anyone's listening to this and wants to have a deeper dive, we have a really long sort of um, essay and video on our on our website in the blog section, which we can send a link to, which is all about cramping and and gives you oh. the full breakdown of the theories. And, and we will add that to the show notes. We'll also add the the sample pack to the show notes, Andy, that we mentioned yeah. earlier, of course. Um, okay so uh, a a couple of questions and uh, a couple final questions Uh, this one heather in montana where i am now and uh, some of some of our shaky connection is due to the only thing that montana is not great at which is internet but um but heather is in uh, helena in montana actually which is the uh, the capital city of the lovely town some of the best mountain biking in the world there i can promise you that but does an athlete, and I, I think you covered this before a little bit, but I, I, I want to ask you again, it's quite good with the new gels. Does an athlete need to consume a certain amount of water to make sure that we can maximize the effectiveness of the new gels? And then her follow-up question was around the drink mix. So she's got a question around the gels, question around the drink mix. The new drink mix contains maltodextrin. What are the advantages of maltodextrin as opposed to other sports drink mixes that rely on different types of carbohydrates? yeah cool yeah so the does an athlete need to consume a certain amount of water with an an energy gel um i would say it's always advisable to because when you think about what an energy gel is in its component parts really it's basically it is almost like a sports drink with most of the water boiled off it's it's a thicker sports drink so our energy gel is 30 grams of carbohydrate in a 51 gram serving Whereas our energy drink mix, which is slightly hypertonic, is 30 grams of carbohydrate in 500 milliliters. So it's like 10 times more fluid with it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need a a whole bottle of water. And it definitely doesn't mean you need a whole bottle of water every time you take an energy gel. But in order to, you're going to need in the gut an amount of fluid available to help digest and process and absorb the sugars from the carbohydrate gel so when when i'm running in cold conditions over here in the uk and when i was testing these energy gels through the winter i would routinely go for a two-hour run with with two or three of the gels 
and not take any water with me at all and it was totally fine because i was i was relatively well hydrated when i started i wasn't sweating significantly enough to become dehydrated the hotter it is the more you're going to start to get progressively dehydrated and the more water you're going to need to take with a gel so what's going to happen there is that the, the amount of water that you need to take to optimally absorb a gel or any food is going to increase in in proportion to your level of dehydration so i would say later on in an event you'll probably find that whereas early on in the running line man half a cup of water would help you get a gel down as you get to the aid stations at mile 20 you might be finding that you need a couple of cups of water to really feel like you're you're getting it down you so it's kind of inversely related to that level of dehydration when it comes to the question about maltodextrin um, maltodextrin is basically just a very um it's it's it breaks down very, very easily in the body into glucose, which is what we're trying to do with a sports drink. So it's kind of fallen out of fashion in some ways, is it? It was, it was always maltodextrin was like the, the original carbohydrate used in sports drinks um, for lots of good reasons. And then it fell out of fashion because in, in recent years, all of these different other carbohydrates have come to the fore. So like the, um, like the hydrogels, like the cluster dextrin, which is a more, slow release version or super starches and things like that but the reality is all of these end up as glucose in the bloodstream and one of the big advantages of maltodextrin and one of the reasons it was originally used apart from its digestibility is that it's just not overpoweringly sweet so we've used it along with some fructose in our drinks and, and products for that very reason because it helps to contribute to that lovely neutral taste so I think although it's it's sort of deemed a bit unfashionable by some and a bit old school for, for me, it's it's every bit as good as it ever was and, and works really well. Well, that's a great way to uh, to end it. And thank you so much, Andy, for coming on yet again. Your best performance so far. You haven't let yourself down <laughs> this time. That's uh, to the surprise of myself and all of the listeners. But uh, no, I, I wish you best of luck. And, and obviously... It's fascinating to uh, to see Precision expand their range, and uh, and uh, it's, I'm excited to put them to use. But uh, but also really thankful for your your backbone as a as a business and yourself as a leader of having education at the forefront. And so, joking aside, with your performance, it's always so nice to have someone come on and share and and provide such pragmatic advice. And I'm sure the listeners would be really thankful for your team helping out so we have to finish up we've got a couple of resources that we are going to add uh, i think i saw actually a, a great blog of yours around different carbohydrate types if i remember right so maybe we'll add that related to heather's question yeah um, that'd be great we can definitely put together a, a chunky list of resources and also i'll i'll add a couple of other blogs in there for you matt that, that are kind of if people are interested in globally what we've talked about there'll be some other rabbit holes they probably want to go down so i'll pull together some some papers and some blogs and and then at least people can have a deeper dive if they want to good stuff and then uh hopefully listeners will take advantage of the sample pack and we can take it from there but i guess we should say until next time because i'm sure you'll be back on as we go through the season for all of the listeners out there i hope that this has been useful i also want to wish you the very best of luck with your race performances throughout the the different variable heat that you're all gonna face and uh, and i hope that the education that andy provided today can help you have a more successful and most importantly enjoyable event so best of luck and andy thanks so much yeah, thanks again, Matt. And just imagine how good this is going to be on the fourth time round. Goodness me. I, I hold my <laughs> breath. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Hey, guys, this is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and, of course, the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget, 
you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.